Welcome to the Elephant on the Couch, where we're finally addressing what makes us uncomfortable. This is a judgment-free space designed to finally help the elephant in the room get on the couch and start the conversation. So join us. Let's get that elephant on the couch and let's get uncomfortable. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Elephant on the Couch. I'm your host, Tanya. And I am your co-host, Dulce. And we have our amazing guest from last week, Luis. Welcome back. Well, thank you for having me back. You're welcome. Luis is in the house, ladies and gents, and anything in the spectrum. <laughs> Way to do that non-gender. I, I love it. I know. You see that? Mm, that, that episode that we did last week was helpful in me being more open-minded and Excellent. acknowledging that people need spaces. I know. When I was trying to text you guys this week, I was like, how can I ask if everybody's doing it this week? Like, guys, without being like gender, you know, with being gender neutral. So I was like, should I write, hi guys? But guys is like, Lord, I was overthinking. I overthink mm-hmm. everything. Yes. But eventually yeah. we all agreed on y'all. Y'all. Y'all is y'all. A safe place. <laughs> At least for this group over here. <laughs> so hope y'all listening over there are doing good. How are you doing, Luis? I'm doing good, actually. Um, very productive week, and uh, we are approaching one of my favorite months of the year. So, you know. July? July, the height of the summer, although the summer is a little different, as we discussed last time. Still happy, mm-hmm. still looking forward to a lot. So I'm just in a overall good mood this week. Oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah. yeah. Very positive. Yeah. I need you in my life. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I, I like summer, too. I, mean, I love summer. It's... Actually, sorry, not to make it about me. That was very selfish. Uh, but, uh, but let me finish my sentence. Go ahead. It my is about favorite. you. It's your world. We're, I'm just a guest. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> but my favorite season is actually um, spring. But like, I think the season that helps me the most in being like chill and happy is summer. Hmm. My favorite mm-hmm. is spring. Yeah. But summer's my side side bitch (laughs) and i think for me i think the reason summer because honestly i don't love the heat so technically it would not be my forte to love uh, july but i think um kind of like what we're going to be talking about today this summer historically has been a time in my life of liberation so i always keep the i have a lot of good memories in the summer despite burning up um (laughs) Good, good, good. I'm yeah. glad to hear that this is yeah, a good time that, of the that, year. That made my heart warm. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, nice. Give you a hug. Just it's give me a nice, mm-hmm, ice cold beer and some reggaeton, and I'll be good. Like that's like that is summer for me. Bud Bunny is on standby with the. What do you drink? With Safaira. Is it Safaira? Is that what the Safaira is called? Safaira is. No one's on pause right now. I'm waiting for the clothes to open up. No, okay. Okay. Anyways, anyways, how are you doing, Dulce? (laughs) Um, how am I doing? I'm pushing through. Power through. Power through. Power through. That's my week's motto. Mm -hmm. Power through. Good. So I, I don't want to say that I'm doing good. I don't want to say that I'm doing bad. Because honestly, just being completely open and honest, I'm in limbo emotionally right now. Mm-hmm. Some days are better than others. And so I'm just powering through. I, I was I was just telling Tanya today, like, 
you know, she's like, are you sure you want to go ahead and record? And I said, you know, I know how much isolating and like keeping to myself when I'm not doing well affects me. So I am consciously making a choice of recording and having social interaction Mm -hmm. and eating some cookies with a big tall glass of milk (laughs) and wings today to just kind of like trying to keep my chemicals, my positive chemicals in balance to kind of like help out with the ups and downs that I've I've been going through. But I'm, I'm neutral. Okay. We'll take neutral. Neutral is a good space. Neutral power through. How are you doing? I am doing, I think I'm, I'm, this is a good week. I'm trying to be very mindful of not saying I'm okay again. Good job. I'm proud of you. We're working on something. I am doing good this week. It's been a good week. I've been in a good mood. I'm looking forward to 4th of July like you, Luis. We have a new birth coming up in my family here pretty soon. So I'm excited to meet the new little person. So a lot of humans, yeah, a lot of good things happening. So it, it is a good week, slowly progressing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like everybody's pretty getting to a a happy place. It's, it's the time of the year. I mean, Arizona's right. back to thirty day restriction everywhere, <laughs> but we're not completely shut down. We're not. Yeah, it's just some stuff is shut Small down. Small progress. So, I am. Yeah. I think everything should be shut down, but that's just my opinion. <laughs> Your Being, two cents. Yeah, my. Well, I think now we know the consequence of not following the rules, so it's a little bit, e- a little bit easier. You would think, right? I I like to make the same mistake like six or seven times just to make sure that the just mistake is done right. Just to be really solid on my answer, like I want to come three more times. You know, let me make sure I'm completely emotionally destroyed. Yeah. So hopefully, if Arizona's in the same mentality as you, by Christmas, God willing, we'll be open again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. What a nightmare. I'm just racking up my, my PTO, man. <laughs> December, when we're on lockdown by Felicia, I'm going to go gain my 30 pounds back. <laughs> so today's episode is going to be a continuation. If you listened to last week's episode when Louise joined us for the first time, uh, we, were, we were talking a little bit about LGBTQIA. Plus. A lot more focus in education, learning more about the history and kind of definition, the, the why the reasons of the quote-unquote labels, the importance of having a space for everyone and stuff like that. But today, we wanted to dive in a little more deeper into actual experiences in the LGBTQ community in the Latino world and uh, what we can speak of because of our perspective. Like we always say when we talk about perspective and whatnot, we can only speak for Mexican experience, Latino, what we, each other and our families experience. experience. So today we wanted to dive in a little more into that. And Luis, like we said last time, was kind enough to join us back here. So let's talk LGBTQ and Latino communities today. Hello. So if you didn't listen to last week's episode, please listen to it. Um, it's not a requirement, but I think it'll be helpful in understanding a what requirement we are talking about. Class. That pr- a, pre- a prerequisite. Pre-work a prereq- your prereq is listen to episode eight and then come back tonight. Okay? Thank you. If not, go ahead and close your app right now. Go back and finish your prereqs. Thank you very much. We will not be overriding any episodes. No, we're not. We are not responsible <laughs> for your lack of understanding on this one if you didn't listen. <laughs> so, um, I guess, Louise, 
tell us about in the Latino community, what, what is your take historically and up until today, 2020, how have you seen things progress in the Latino community when it comes to LGBTQIA? And, and this question is not just like a personal question. I think it's also you as a therapist in the field and working with children that are specific to this population um, or adults. I'm not really sure what population you focus on, but if they, I remember one of the things that you mentioned in the first episode or our last episode was that you have specific training for this type of therapy. And so I I want to make sure that we're cautious that as we ask you these questions, it's not like the token gay man that's Latino and knows the answer to everything that every gay man out there has experienced. Like, just kind of like a yes. through your lenses. And that's a good point, because obviously, um, you know, my experience is unique. My personal uh, values and views are unique. So I'm definitely not representative of millions of people um mm-hmm. this is my take on things there are some things that are more fundamental like you said you know like um just the training and how to approach certain things but like you said this is my experience and not meant to overshadow other people's experiences as well um so yeah i guess kind of getting to your question um I think with regards to just kind of viewing general, you know, Latino culture um, based on um, just progress socially, things seem to be moving in the right direction. And that's evidenced just by the progress, you know, from the homeland, from, you know, from the cities uh, back in Mexico and more, like, more cosmopolitan places. Um, what I have experienced... Um, with regards to kind of like my own personal experiences and with regards to, you know, working with uh, the Latino population uh, as um, a counselor, I, it's been kind of split. So I think I've noticed a big difference between uh, first generation versus second generation versus, um, again, individuals who were kind of born and raised in the States and how they view things. That's been, that's been a big sharp divide, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. um, for somebody, you know, who's multiple generations in, I haven't really seen anything directly discriminatory, but I mean, I guess that's up to the, you know, the eye of the beholder, because obviously there are statistics that show that, you know, there, are, there still are issues with acceptance um, in the, the Latino community. Um mm-hmm. But I can't say that I've ever really experienced in this modern day and age as a provider, you know, um, things seem to just be moving in the right direction. I think just people seem to be more accepting and more willing mm-hmm. to listen and be open. Um, right. But but still not perfect, if that answers that question. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, definitely. Mm-hmm. And, and I do... Uh... I agree with you. I think there is some progress already. A lot of progress, right? Let's give credit. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- there is a lot of people that have fought really, really hard to get to the place that we're at. Because even in my lifetime, I noticed changes in the way, and especially in our Mexican culture and the Latino community, Latino being specific to Mexico and my own experience growing up. I think in the media, the, the the representation of the LGBTQ community in the media was very um, 
focus on like jokes. Yeah. She did a very humor um, base. Like it was always the gay person had to be like funny or like goofy. Yes. Showing Mm -hmm. a lot of skin, Mm kind of like dumb at times. Yes. It was almost like, it was almost like uh, a deprecation of the persona. Right. Like Mm -hmm. satire. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which is ironically, as we were talking about the the Black Lives Matters and in the two episodes that we did, it was kind of like the same light when we mm-hmm. talked about Black people within our community, right? right? Like very satire, mm-hmm. a specific Stereoty- type of clothes, very minimizing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, stereotypical, yes. minimizing. I, I do want to highlight a piece that you said about like moving forward. For me, specifically watching La Casa de las Flores, it's a Mexican uh, show on Netflix, uh, and I'm not a huge Netflix person, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that show really shed a lot of light into transgender rights and mm. the kind of abuse oh, that they I have to him. endure. You know, um, I think one like one of the main characters is a lawyer, like a very high reputation lawyer. He's from Spain. No, no he's Mexican, but he moves Oh, no, to the Spain. other one. Yeah, 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 you're talking. He, no, he, he lives in Spain because he couldn't live in Mexico. Oh, then I missed that part. <laughs> or I think, or I think he was from Spain, but he lived in Mexico when he met his wife. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When he was change, in Mexico, he was male. And he went back to, right. to Spain because he couldn't handle the amount of abuse for him being transgender. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so it, I think it's important that we highlight the fact that me- that's Mexico's way of saying like, hello, look at the mess that you're doing. We need to mm-hmm. kind of look at ourselves and kind of be more mm-hmm. open. Mm-hmm. I also mm-hmm. think that there's a lot of like um, hidden information, like the femicides is a big thing in Mexico right now, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but they're not talking about like the abuse towards LGBTQ plus people. Right. who are getting killed just because of their sexual preference. Yeah. I think slowly, because I think slowly. I saw there was a, a person, like a transgender person that was killed a couple, probably two weeks ago by now. And I did see a lot of social media posts about that. So I think with, mm-hmm. with, with the birth of social media and internet access and whatnot, and it seems to be a pretty common thing now, everywhere, no matter kind of like <clears throat> the, the social economic status of the area, um, it is pretty available. So I think that yeah. is helping in the awareness because I did see a lot of posts about the, the transgender person that was killed um, about two weeks ago. But I do uh, agree with you, Dulce, that the representation of the transgender character in La Casa de las Flores was very different from the past. This was a successful lawyer. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Gorgeous as a woman. Um, but yes, it changed from like being the joke of the plot of, of whatever show to now mm-hmm. being like a, a professional yeah and i think one of the things that i wanted to kind of like chime in on is um, i think we have to be careful about focusing so much on like you know like our our heritage or, or like mexico's flaws regarding because yeah they're not perfect clearly there's a lot there's a lot of violence but uh not to minimize that but even when you look at the united states i mean this last year there were seven hundred thousand hate crimes in the u.s mm-hmm you know what I mean? So in theory, while things, you know, are improving everywhere, it's kind of a false equivalency to kind of paint the picture that maybe, I mean, like I said, I'm not saying that, you know, it's safer for, you know, um, a non, uh, you know, being LGBT, you know, in a different country, but, you know, the U.S. has its issues as well. 
So I always like to throw that out there. I think I think a lot of times we take false comforts in the safety of the United States when we got our issues as well. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, yeah and um, I think um I I think the difference is that and I'm and I'm I'm gonna be very cautious with what I say and as I and as I say that I'm being cautious, I guess it's kinda like my disclosure statement of like what I'm about to say, it's a little blunt. Um, but I think that there's this perception, like I'm coming to the United States and I actually have freedom. Yes. I can, I can comfortably come out and feel safe and, and safe to a certain extent, right. To the extent Mm -hmm. of uh, there's still, there's still hate crimes out there. There's still this amount of violence. I don't want to minimize it, but I think like in Mexico, if you come out, the, the expectation of being killed or murdered is a lot it's kind of like a given to a certain extent and just historically speaking i'm not speaking about right now at this moment but just in the past um i know that there's like this fear of they're gonna beat up this kid because he's gay like or they're gonna beat up this woman because she's she's lesbian or you know nevertheless a transgender child right or a transgender person it 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 was kind of like you were the laughing stock of the barrio and, and the expectation of being murdered, it's like there. And so um, not, not that I'm saying that it's not happening here in the States, but I don't think it's as normalized, you know, here um, some people are able to adopt a child. They're able to get married and, and be freely gay, you know, wear a shirt and take pictures with their significant other and be married and kind of quote unquote live in peace. Right. If you mm-hmm. live in a certain area or a certain district, specifically here in Phoenix, you know, we have a district where majority of LGBTQ plus uh, mm-hmm. people live and, and they're kind of, quote unquote, in safe spaces. So what I'm what I'm saying is the the amount of liberty, quote unquote, or freedom that you have in the states, it's kind of changes a little bit or shifts the ability to come out and be and accept who you are versus the pressure that might be in Mexico. And and again, that's just from my own perspective in my own little town, border town. I, I don't want to like generalize for the rest of Mexico because the EFE is super liberal, right? Like you talk to the big cities and that's way different, but at least mm-hmm. for me and my perspective from a border town. Um, yeah. Well, and I think that um, with all due respect, and again, like you said, disclaimer, not trying to be disrespectful, but I think like when we take into account the border town, like the frontera that we're from, it's almost like the equivalent of the American South <laughs> when you kind of look at the yeah. cult- when you look at the cultural dynamics and you know like you know like the kind of music that is embraced is almost like the equivalent of like country. And now the not I'm again I'm trying to be very careful with what I'm saying, but like you know like a norteño that's we're kind of like on the flip side so like we're we're country we're gonna, you know they even Absolutely. make fun of, they make fun of our accent so i think you're right the parallel mm. the parallel the parallel is there because you're right like you know we're living in a rural area per se even though we have some decent sized cities on our border but uh you know like mexico mexico city is not san luis uh you know yeah, but I think you make yeah. a really good point, and I had I had never thought about it in that light that you're compare you're you're like comparing it to here in the United States, 
how some states, and I don't want to name states because that's generalizing, right? But there are some states that are more traditional or the roles or the, the culture is more focused on one side of the spectrum versus other states and cities that are more like San Francisco type but of I mean, I, the spectrum. We, and we even get, in Mexico, uh-huh. the North, like you're saying, has a different culture, different expectations, different ways of doing things versus like Mexico City or the FA. Yeah, and I um and um, I mean honestly, like even just keeping it local, like looking at kind of comparing ourselves to like you know the country of you know of our heritage. Like you look at Arizona, like if you look at the HRC, uh, the Human Rights Campaign, they actually rate states and cities based on laws, right? Like you know what are your protections? How are you protected? Can you can you adopt you know all these um, uh, job protections, discrimination, hate crime laws in ordinances? Uh, Arizona doesn't fare very well as a state. We have limited laws protecting LGBTQ individuals in this state. However, when you go to the municipalities, um, you look at Phoenix proper. So not Phoenix Metro, Phoenix, Arizona, Phoenix proper. You look at Tucson, you look at Tempe, you look at Flagstaff. Those are the only cities in the state that uh, are operating at 100% scorecard rates by the human rights campaign. So you can't always you can't always let affluent like um affluent neighborhoods fool you because you look at some of the cities which I won't drop names but you look more at conservative but even the more upscale cities you just assume that because there's money that equals diversity and open mindedness and these cities these cities score relatively low yeah um, like shockingly low that you'd be like wow I didn't see that coming mm-hmm. so just so yeah I mean it's, I just it's like a little mini version of what's going on in our border and just in our in our own state. So yeah, um. and, and I think like we've mentioned in the couple of last episodes, I think the Mexican culture, and again, I'm not generalizing, but I think it's very religious focused, like well, and Catholic, I think- Catholic specifically. And I think the whole idea of a man and a woman it, in the past historically, right? Like we're saying lots and tons and tons of progress but when i think of mexico that's where i think of like la Virgen de Guadalupe, Dios, la and i think uh it kind of echoes back to what luis is saying right like in these very suburban i don't know if suburban is the right word the suburban um, outskirts, yeah suburban like towns like mm-hmm. the border towns that we're from yeah or like the northern part of mexico they're more conservative quote unquote and i and i do think that it, but yes, there's like a huge Catholic influence mm-hmm. in Mexican culture that we also need to be very aware of as we talk about these spaces, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think like even in some more liberal, more open-minded spaces or, or cities, uh, there's still a group of people that are like, oh my God, this is a sin, you're going to go to hell, mm-hmm. right? It, and and that has an influence in itself, but but I do want to really highlight what you said because there are there are places in Mexico that are more conservative than others where religion takes like a higher rank mm-hmm. than other yeah. more open minded places. But even mm-hmm. that, I think it's changing. I think so too, and I mean, like I said, I I referenced you know before we got on just like um you know Mexico City was one of the first places the FA was one of the first places in North America to fully legalize. Um, you know, gay marriage, that was a huge shock for, you know, people who view Mexico in a certain type of way. Um, 
uh, again, you know, referencing like Mexico City and a couple of other cities in Mexico, like Mexico City by itself, you know, has like the world famous, like, you know, Zona Rosa. It's one of the biggest gay districts mm-hmm. in the world. Uh, Mexico City has one of the biggest world prides. We're talking about like a million attendees um, in the world. So, I mean, we'll get to that. I do think that sometimes when people feel like they have nothing to lose, that makes them get even louder and prouder and <laughs> more out. And uh, you know what I mean? So it's, it's an interesting parallel. You know what I mean? Yeah, because I think you're talking a lot about macro stuff. When mm-hmm. we talk about micro, so macro is mm-hmm. like the big picture, right? Micro mm-hmm. is like very small. So macro, micro is very therapist lingo. So I want to mm-hmm. make sure that I don't get stuck in that space. Um, macro, we're talking about the big picture, like worldwide. Mm-hmm. And the things that you're mentioning are very macro, yes. right? But if we talk about micro, and that's the parallel, you said parallel, and it just like light bulb went on my head. Because micro, you can literally be kicked out of your family. You can be disowned if you come out. Yes. Right. And and you said something that was really key. If you have nothing to lose, mm-hmm. it makes you prouder. And I think when family, especially with our culture, with family being like right. number one, like families, everything and the fear of being disowned and not having the one thing that makes your world go round, which is family. Uh, being the reason why you might lose everything. Right. Like, I think that there's this fear yeah. of actually forming part of this bigger picture, awesome stuff that is going on. It's like a outside in the world, I might get accepted, but inside my house, I'm going to get discriminated. And well, and I, but I, and I think that you know, every experience is different. I think one of the things that makes the macro in this situation relevant is because it's, it offers comfort to think, all right, like, you know what, if my parents are going to disown me, at least there are people in this world and this community that think my parents are wrong and are going to be able to support me or that I have a community to gravitate to. And that's one, and that's one thing that a lot of um, LGBT uh, in particular, I I highlight those, um, you know, spaces um, because of, you know, like the whole ballroom culture, a lot of the lingos that we use, that's, that really originates in houses that were formed by, you know, disowned, uh, you know, LGBTQ youth that, you know, went to live, you know, with a, you know, suedo parent, somebody to fill that gap. So, I mean, those things are important, you know what I mean? Because if you truly felt you lived in a, in a world or a country where, you know, you had no family, no love, no community, nowhere to turn to, you know, that would turn dire very quickly. So, mm-hmm. you know, again, not perfect, but definitely trending better. I think um, one thing that has that I've seen improve in my life is I think I've seen more of an acceptance of um, of coming out by the older generation. So I think in my experience, I've always seen people tend to not talk about it. It was truly the uh, you know the elephant on the couch. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so we all knew it. You know, every, every, like the writings were on the wall, but. No one wanted to dare say the words. Um, right. And I've seen that change uh, quite a bit. There's still I that think... disagreement, but at least they're accepting and respectful and willing to work with you and whatever that means regarding your situation. Yeah, because I think like even even shows like, and I've mentioned this show at least twice before, La Rosa de Guadalupe, right? Which is like, 
the Mexican show that everybody watches. But I think it's shedding some light into what, you know, LGBTQ plus kids go through and the amount of abuse they go through because they come out. And and that's a religious show. I think that's opening doors. And I'm going to use my personal experience um, because that's what I'm an expert on. Um, Within my very close people, I'm going to say that because I'm trying to keep it very general. Um, There has been a shift in the last, from when I was 17, 18, to now that I'm 30 plus. Sounded horrible. 21, just kidding. Um, I I saw a shift in, in people that are very close in my life from, oh, this person's gay. Ay, pobrecito. Mm. Right? Or this person's lesbian. Ay, pobrecita. Like, there's nothing to be pobrecito about. Like, that's just their sexual preference. Right? Or or the, um, I, that's hard for the parents. And I'm like, why? You know, and having those conversations to now seeing the, well, they're not really hurting anybody. If that's what makes them happy, let mm-hmm. them be. Mm-hmm. And, and so, like, for maybe that's not, like, huge for a lot of people. But I know for people that were afraid of losing their family for accepting who they were, this is huge. You know, to hear the person that they really love say, well, that's your preference. I still love you, you know. From from a ah yeah yeah like you're sick you know right, that like shift yeah that shift that intent towards towards this space I think that shift is definitely heading on the right direction. But again, it goes back to what we said last episode about it's really about those micro level in home table table conversations. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I think that people and I'll you know I'll share that with my own experience. But if it wasn't for you know, my Nina of all people, the person who baptized me to, you know, to back me up and say like, no, you know, not accepting you is wrong. I mean, that was, you know, I mean, it takes those conversations because they, I think a lot of Hispanic culture or Mexican culture, not Hispanic, I don't like that word. Um, it's, but I mean, I, I think it kind of generalizes Latino in general. I think there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of collectivism and conformity, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I think and I think that I think that most people are willing to be open-minded, but they're afraid to ruffle feathers. Yeah. Um, so again, because it's seen as you know, like respect, like you know, don't don't get in their business, don't talk about their marriage, don't tell them how to raise their kid. You know what I mean? Like that's mm-hmm. a very very cultural thing. Like stay in your lane, handle yours. Or we'll come after you. <laughs> yeah, and I think that can... <laughs> we'll come after you. We'll talk, good... we'll, talk, yeah, we'll talk about your situation. But <laughs> Tell your Nina I say what's up. Like, when like, I... so what, what a good Nina. When I, when I came out to my parents, um, my one of the responses was, and I'm going to say response, I'm trying to keep it very general again. Mm-hmm. was I prefer for you to be pregnant and not know who the dad is than for you to tell me you're lesbian. <laughs> Which I left it off because I was like, haha, like you're not going to disown me. Because I, I, I've talked <laughs> about how much anywhere. I, you know, the great relationship I have with my parents. But I, I, I was very young. I was probably like 17 or 18. And that was the initial response. And it didn't phase me because I was like, okay, 
well, it is mm-hmm. what it is. But again, because I'm bi, I think it was very dismissed. Mm-hmm. I'm not lesbian, and therefore, there, like, I can, I, there's still a hope that I'm gonna end up with a man, mm-hmm. and I'm probably and- gonna be, you know hide into normalcy or yeah, whatever. Yeah, I was going to say that because we were talking about like that, how the, the B and LGB can sometimes be uh, perceived as, oh, it's temporary. It's a stage. It's her college life. It, and she's just trying to figure it out, but eventually she'll come to her senses and realize that she is attracted to women, right? So that that can be, like, the, the reaction of them, like, eh, okay, yeah, whatever, do Yeah, uh-huh. but I think, like, if they would have had a Nina... Mm-hmm. Luisa's Nina. If I would have had Luisa's Nina, it would have been a different conversation. I do think that that plays a huge role into it, um, because initially, like when I came out to you know her and actually uh, my Thea, which was extra taboo, because now it was like now I have these two women ganging up on my poor mom, which I feel <laughs> I feel bad about it now, because like I hate feeling ganged up on, and I can. You know what I mean? Like, regardless of whether who was right or wrong, like, that's a tough place to be to have two people on your on your ass about how to raise your kid. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know what I mean? Because nobody wants feedback. I mean, let's face yeah. it. No, nobody really loves feedback if it's constructive or, mm-hmm. you know, or and with our culture, critical. You know what I mean? Because I don't know how you can be constructive about that, you know, telling somebody they're wrong about their identity. Something. <laughs> yeah but i think you that you made a good point too of how our culture tends to be also very hush hush and very private mm-hmm. even with mental health we touched on that and how what happens mm-hmm. at home stays at home and it's no one's business and you don't go out there right mm-hmm. so i wonder if coming out to people have experienced that that is like all right well thank you for letting us know we still love you just don't do it outside of the home well what do you mean <laughs> don't do it outside of the home because this is my identity right Mm-hmm. And I think, um, you know, coming out to initially, it was just my mom. She was like, don't tell your dad. We're not going to tell him until, like, you're sure. And I was like, what the hell do you mean? I'm not I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like, I've been sitting on this since, like, I don't know. It was, it, it was an interesting conversation because there was a lot of back and forth. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. she was like, well, you just said you've never been with a woman. So why, how do you know? I was like, well, you've never been with a woman. How do you know? And she was like, that's. That's irrelevant. That's a stupid question. You know. Right. Yeah. How, um, do you mind me asking how old you were? Was that so I was, TMI? No, I was like 20. So. I, I think like the conversation as a teenager, young adult, that conversation versus a conversation now that we're in our 30s is completely freaking different. Coming out? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, we're like... Mm-hmm. You could have said, like, that's an irrelevant question. Yeah, period. Mm-hmm. But you kind of had to do the back and forth because you're, like, in your 20s and you, you're still learning how to, like... Maneuver in the maneuver, respect. Maneuver, yeah, yeah. And, like, figure out how to, like, be respectful and not, like, really be mean. But at the same time, call them out and also be, like, within your lane. I, I don't know. It, and that's a very interesting... Maybe that's another topic we need to add. Like, passive right. aggressiveness in the Latino community. <laughs> because you're not allowed to kind of call it out. Like, you're gaslighting. Period. Mm-hmm. You know? But mm-hmm. I, I wonder if it's even... Because we were talking about this last episode about the lenses and perspective and what each person brings to each dynamic. And that's just... I, I, I can totally even, like, see my mom saying something like that as you're sharing that. Luis, like, her saying, like, 
well, are you sure? Like, do you want to just wait a little bit until you figure it out? Like, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. it, it's just like a culture, th a cultural thing, a traditional thing that, like, well, sit on it. You haven't even tried woman. Why don't you do that first? Yes. Right, right. And, it's like you don't know better. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's funny that and it's funny that you bring up the passive aggressiveness because I think that I think um, th so like a lot of the, my my struggles with my parents started when. I had, you know, I was living in Phoenix after my first year of school, of, you know, being a freshman, doing the college dorm experience. Uh, I ended up, like, moving in with an openly gay friend. And for them, that was, like, a huge red flag. They were like, you know, why are you living with him? Like, you know he's gay. I'm like, you know, well, duh. Like, I think I think I know my friend who I'm going to be moving in with. Um, and that's where, like, the tension started because it was like, oh, well, are you sure? Like, you want people, you know they're going to assume you're gay. They're going to assume you guys are like dating. Are you dating? Like, you know, all these weird questions. Um, I think one thing that I had on my side to be a little bit more bold about kind of leveraging the coming out process, which I don't want this to sound bad because I don't want the older, you know, <laughs> uh, generation of our, of our heritage to be like, Oh my God, see, this is why we shouldn't come to America. But I I feel like I had leverage at that point because it was like, if you're really going to disown me, like, we're not going to be good. Like, I have options. Like, I don't need your money. I don't need your financial support. You know what I mean? And I know and maybe that was just me because I had a, a lot of different factors in my, you know, just experience growing up. Um, but they knew that I meant business because... I had grown. I I had grown so close with my Nina that I was spending so much time with her in Phoenix. I never came home anymore. You know, it was like you guys can come to me, and I think they started to realize. All right, like you know, if we, if we, they kind of started feeling what it would be like to disown me ahead of time before actually getting there. You know what I mean? And I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to act like I was being cocky. It didn't scare me. It didn't hurt my feelings. But I also was prepared to be happy versus just living a low quality of life to please people. And I always just felt like there were so many other ways that I could make them proud that this shouldn't be like the life changing issue. Right. Like, like give me a chance. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I think like. And that's a story that's not applicable to every Latino Ex out there. Exactly, exactly. And and I think it's important to recognize that um, there there are people out there who have openly come out to their immediate family members, mm -hmm. have a stable LGBTQ plus whatever relationship, um, and to this day are still hiding that. Yes. to the rest of the family, right? Like, mm -hmm. so uh, I'm going to use my family as an example, just because that's all who I can think of. Um, my dad has eight brothers and sisters. So my extended family is freaking huge, right? Uh, my mom has three brothers and sisters. So that's a, a lot it's a lower scale than the other rest of the family. And so I'm used to going to these parties where we have like 120 people of immediate quote unquote, immediate family members, right? Cousins, deals. Like I always joke that we have at least six to seven people in each generation. I have a generation Z, I have a millennial, I have generation X, I have boomers. Like, <laughs> And anyway, so the point is when the person 
does come out to their family, like their mother and father and siblings. This is just an example. Um, they're not able to come out with the rest of the family, the tios and the cousins and the ninas and the other people that are part of those 100 people that I was talking about, right? Which, which it, that in itself is so unfair, you know, because you're able to share this with your immediate family members, like your mom and your dad, but the rechazo, the, the mm -hmm. neglect, the rejection, rejection um, that you might get from the other parts of the family is so powerful that mm -hmm. you just kind of keep it hush-hush within your immediate family and that's it. Mm -hmm. Or they'll yeah. tell you like, oh, we accept you, mijita, pero no le digas a tu abuelita porque tu abuelita is old school and she just doesn't She might it. have a heart attack and die. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. it, <laughs> I think it's important to really note that, that thank God that you were able to have that support system financially, emotionally here in Phoenix. Um, you called it leverage, quote-unquote. Um, but not everybody has those exact same support systems. And, and sadly, they kind of have to stay in the shadows. Well, and I think it's funny that you say that because mine, yeah, mine, yeah, we, we, I think there was a lot of, um, I think me telling my Nina and my Thea, like really pissed off my mom. <laughs> I think that that was more of a betrayal than the actual coming out. Um <laughs> I, I can see your mom's point because that breaks, like, as a mom will be like, oh, you didn't trust me. You didn't feel safe with me that I'm your mama. You're so selfish. Just kidding. Okay. Well, so well, I, well, and I mean, so the point, and like, not, and I mean, me and my mom, like, we are super good now, but I mean, mm -hmm. looking back, I mean, really, like, that was, I mean, that's what I would tell her now. Like, what did you expect? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like, now that we're actually at a place where we can have these conversations, But, like, for me, I guess my experience was a little bit different with the family because uh, the only reason I was not able to tell my extended family was because my parents didn't give approval yet. So my, my family has a lot of strong personality. So as long as, you know, my parents gave the blessing, then I could tell all the extended family because everybody would kind of adhere to that. Yeah, they'd probably, they'd probably talk their mess behind the scenes, but it is what it is. Right. Um, So I actually, it took about five years after that um, to really be able to be open in front of all family. Um, and even, I think that was kind of forced because social media, you know, yeah, people say things. Um, but yeah, it wasn't easy. I don't want to make it seem like it was easy because I think I endured a lot of indirect emotional abuse and not anything ever intentional from them. Right. But I think like I saw a lot of, um, a lot of not nice things being said about uh, LGBT people around us. Um, like I hate to say it out loud, but I mean, words like, you know, like, you know, faggot were common on, you know, both English and Spanish. And like, You know, I look at that word now and even saying it out loud, we've become so soft and sensitive that, you know, it makes us cringe to hear it. But you hear that word all the time, you know what I mean? Or like, yeah. you know, like, or like maricon or, you know, things like just all these, you know, words. Um, is, is it the equivalent of puto? No, maricon is oh, like kind of a more harsh way of calling somebody the F word. Um yeah. Okay, okay. Because I was thinking like puto is, I keep saying the word, but that word is very 
common in Mexico, and they use it kind of like in that sense of being an insult towards someone yeah. that's acting quote unquote feminine, like feminine, like no seas puto, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. no seas joto, like that's things like, bitch. like that. Puto's like bitch. Don't be a bitch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think yeah, I view it more as like don't be a bitch. Um, but isn't puto supposed to be like like it comes gay. from being yeah, gay, bitch. right? Yeah, like a bitch, like you cry and you're sensitive. Like, and yeah, like it's supposed to be like you're soft, like you know. Mm-hmm. Um, well, another interesting thing that I have to add to my experience, speaking of the church, obviously grew up Catholic, uh, without giving too much information. <laughs> um, my mom had an important role with a Catholic school, so you can imagine how yes. I grew up. <laughs> yeah. So, and, I, uh, <laughs> and there's a reputation for that. Like parents that are involved in the church hold a reputation within our communities that is huge. It's like they're the social workers of the community. Yes. You know, they're like the perfect couple that that are that that are have this example of a family mm-hmm. that have their life together. They're loyal to each other. The dad is usually the hardworking, loving mm-hmm. father. The woman is like, they're making every single decision in their life based on the Bible, the word of God. Right. Yeah. Like these are like the example the to follow, you know? Mm-hmm. And so they kind of have this like social pressure to even have like this quote unquote, perfect life. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then within that pressure, there's belief systems that they have to follow, like being a virgin until you get married. Mm-hmm. Um, L- you know, abortion is like the devil and, and LGBTQA, like they're, it's their decision. You've decided mm-hmm. it. You know, you got out of the womb and said, you know what? I'm a be gay. <laughs> Well, and to, I'm being to, sarcastic, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to add like insult to injury to that situation, on top of you know her playing a very, uh, and I should say paid role at a Catholic <laughs> elementary school, uh, I also attended Catholic school from kindergarten to senior year. So, oh so my girl, we were going to church on Wednesdays and Sundays. I was not having it, like. <laughs> looking yeah, and, and it's and i can't even imagine the pressure of being in that position because there has been times that i've walked out of mass i do like going to mass i enjoy going to mass to be honest i like the whole music and the candles and the singing and everything uh, even the sermon sometimes but there are times where the priest will literally say like condemn the ones that don't follow woman men marriage you know like I remember taking one of my gay friends to church one time because I, I really needed it. And the priest made some very intense comments. Um, my friend's a female, lesbian, very butchy looking, whatever that mm-hmm. might mean. But, you know, like male. And I don't know if the priest saw her and was trying to make a point or what. <laughs> but I promise you, like, it was a very passive aggressive Men should be married to women. Women should be married to men. You know, it was that the was that what the sermon was about that day? No, but he made it about that. Oh, you know, it. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine the level of microaggression that you endured because people assume, like, without even knowing, like, oh, he kind of looks like he's gay. Let's bully him. Mm-hmm. Very Mexican, also. Like, oh, you look like you're a nerd. Let's bully you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I I can't imagine Louise. I, I'm just trying to. That's what I'm trying to say. 
Well, and I think another issue that was occurring around that time of life, do you guys remember when, like, the 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 pre-scandals were, like, really, mm-hmm. like, so that was the big thing, like, oh, did something happen to you? Like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but then it was, it was almost like, it was almost like equivalating homosexuality to the priests, you know, right, I mean, right, right. you know what I mean? It's almost like, oh, well, if you're one of these bad, you're like one of these bad priests, you know, because you're a closet. You know, because homosexuals clearly, you know, and that was something that I was shocked by um, that still kind of exists today is that there in our culture is that there still is this uh, negative belief that there is a correlation between like homosexuality and like pedophilia or child molestation. That was one of the first things that was that was one of the first things that was kind of ingrained in me, like growing up like no you don't want to be like them like they're bad people like they yeah you know they but might I think, yeah and i think i i still see that that, that people think like you're gay were you sexually molested when you were little like, yeah they make that it's assumption shift- or that connection yeah. in their brains it's like shifted to sympathy like oh you poor thing like mm, you know or or usually what i get is the female that was sexually abused, just on my practice. Yeah, yeah. That was sexually abused, and she oh, hates yeah. men because of the abuse that she endured. So now she's just gonna date females. Yes, mm-hmm. it's that easy. And um, that's and and that's the reason why every female lesbian out there decided to be lesbian. You know, like it's just I. There is so many, and and there are groups out there here in the United States. I think this was a couple years back. That were like, we need the same rights that LGBTQ plus people have um, because we are pedophiles and the kids actually love us and we want to be able to marry Mm -hmm. our our victims. Like there was a group that was comparing that to LGBTQ and the the pedophiles were actually very blunt and out in the world. Like, yeah, we do like little baby booties. The nerve to come out to say like, I like. Remember we were talking about having children and, and, and want to marry them. And if LGBTQ people can have rights, why can't I? The, mm-hmm. But that tells you what you need to know about what people associate with LGBTQ and what, how they are still perceived just, like a couple years ago. It, it just baffles mm-hmm. me the, the fact that people connect our sexuality to n- nasty pedophile sexuality. It's no. like penis and vaginas involved and they're not the way that I expected them to be involved. So it just goes to a different level of nastiness and you don't deserve to have rights as a human. Mm-hmm. Like, whoa. And you the, know? Or, or that that misconception that, like we were saying with the DSM, the, the manual for mental health, that somehow you're broken. It's because of your trauma. It's because you're a pedophile. It, like there is this negative connotation to everything when it comes to LGBTQIA+. Still, to hmm. like in recent years, we were still hear those conversations, right? So something. Oh, tell me yeah. what happened to you. Why do you like women? Did someone rape you? Yeah. No, well, I was five and I had a crush on a little girl, and told my mom, well, and she was like, "You're wrong." Well, and I think what this boils down to again is people just they have a lack of self respect and true understanding of consent, like you know, sexual consent. It's very, it's very complex. You know what I mean? And I think that. Mm-hmm. When you don't understand the true, you know, parameters of consent, of course you're going to just kind of say, like, I hate when people say, oh, well, if you can marry, you know, a man, then why can't you marry your dog? Like, well, clearly you don't understand consent because, you know, right. 
because you know, like you said, like homosexuality or anybody in the LGBTQ you know space, like they're not creating a victim. There's no victims being created by who we love or how we choose to live. Yeah, and I think that's again, it goes just it goes down to blatant ignorance, and I'm and I don't and I don't mean that in a nice way. I do mean that in in a some, you're ignorant like yes, and for intentionally some, for, ignorant for, for many people, it's a choice to stay ignorant too, right. If you don't understand the the concept of consent, there is a pretty good video out there with a cup of tea. (laughs) That if somebody doesn't want a cup of tea, you don't shove it down their throat forcefully. Well, well, and I think like we think consent and people automatically think of rape, right? Yeah. When we mean consent, we're talking about two adults feeling sexually attracted to each other. And and I want to put a little start start to that and I want to go back to it. Two adults being in, in agreement of having sex with each other and in whatever way, shape, or form that they both choose to have it. That's what consent means. It doesn't mean I want to fuck you and you're going to let me. No. Well, it means all- you and I like each other. Let's do this together. But now we're talking about sex specifically. But let's remember last week's episode <laughs> where we're talking about LGBTQ being more complex than just sex like when we talk about lgbtq it's not just penis on penis vagina on vagina no like it means i i can like a woman but i don't i choose not to have sex with a woman i prefer i'm sexually attracted to a man it's a lot more complex than just two people agreeing to have sex with each other well and i think a big piece that we tend to overlook when we think about the general community is we we overlook the power and control dynamic and the equal distribution and the equal distribution of power. And that's why, you know, it can't, it's not comparable to say like, Oh, well, you know, a pedophile is the same as, you know, a gay individual because it's not the same. There's, there's a, there's a, there's a disruption in power. And there's a reason that people are attracted, you know, to those that are less than regard, whether it be emotional intelligence, age, uh, even an animal. I mean, I, I, I mean, you know that I work with this population, so to me, mm-hmm. I've, yeah. I've, be, I've become blunt and blind—not blind, but just it doesn't bother me to say it out loud. But yeah, it's just it's 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 too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, in in speaking about children, I think there is also still to this day a lot of like taboo in talking about sexual identity and all of this with children. I feel like a lot of people still are very much in that mindset of like, if I bring it up, I'm going to plant that seed and then they're going to turn gay. If yeah. I start talking to them or, about that. Or if I talk about sex, this is just sex in general. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys had a really awesome birds and bees talk, but I telling you right now, I did not. I was mm-hmm. given a book and <laughs> my mom was like, read my it and you'll figure it either. out. I did not get the birds and the beasts. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I, I was, I was in high school and I was like, Oh no, if you kiss me, I'm going to lose my virginity. <laughs> I'm thinking but, of like the, the words that my mom used. <laughs> they were so and pajarito. Pajarito is penis, by la the way. Cosita, like, <laughs> la guitarra. Oh, oh my God. Who calls it la guitarra? <laughs> an old lady in my job what has she seen in her right. lifetime that lady but, but people were up in arms about how there was this conversation about frozen and how i think it was anna 
No, Elsa. Uh, Elsa is, Elsa is supposed to be like I lesbian. See you, Elsa. How you doing? And people were like up in arms. And this is what, two years ago? No, it was longer than that. Mm-hmm. Last sure. year? No, Frozen came out like last Frozen year. Frozen came out like six years, honey. Well, I don't know. I just <laughs> watched. Like, yeah, I don't know. I know what you're talking about. I don't know why. Like, yeah, there was like a recent resurgence and they were saying that one of the characters was lesbian or. Yeah, well, she comes. Well, the, the big thing with Frozen for the ones that are not parents and don't watch Disney like I do. Um, she comes out and says, let it go. Like, and she's talking about letting go of the expectations of being a queen and feeling she has to pretend like she doesn't have powers. Mm -hmm. And so she has to hide her powers and she's a little girl. So she suppresses her powers. She isolates from every loved Mm -hmm. one. Her parents die and obviously emotions all over the place. And she finally comes out. But she doesn't come mm. out sexually. She comes out with powers. Like So Disney wasn't like you. straight up like Elsa's lesbian. No. But people just look but at a the, lot of the, trans- the storyline. People, well, not trans- just transgenders. Uh, more of the people that uh, perform. I don't want to say that all of them are transgender because that's inaccurate. But Louise, help me here with the verbiage. But people who dress as women and perform. Oh, drag queens. Drag Thank queens. you. Yeah. Um. So drag queens actually used the let it go a lot. Like it was just taken as like, fuck everyone and I'm letting it go and watch me shine. It became their their, <laughs> their, their anthem. Yeah, their anthem. Well, but- you know, it's, it's funny. I have to give a quick little tidbit about drag queens. So a lot of people think that drag is just about, you know, embracing, you know, just kind of having like the big diva in the room. And originally, uh, drag was meant to provide a safe place because it was it was a rejection of social expectations. You know what I mean? So, like, even now, like, as when I first started going to, like, gay clubs or going to the drag shows, I would walk in and be like, oh, my God, this feels so foreign and so taboo to see this man who looks like a woman on stage and over here jamming out to, like, Beyonce. But it's more than just, you know, Beyonce and Heels, it's about, you know, letting it go and feeling free and being able to, you know, be outside of your comfort zone, even if it's just for a little bit. Yeah. And I think it like, it it also provides a space where they get some respect. Right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's not, you don't go to a drag show to clown on, I mean, some people probably do, but I know that when I go to the shows, I pay a lot of respect in what I see because I mm-hmm. can't dance like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Neither can I put my makeup like that either. But I think it like provides a space where they're where they are safe and respected, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but and I, recognized. Yeah, and I think with that, that's a good segue to go into how people look at drag queen, and, and maybe I'm generalizing again, but I I wonder if you guys would agree with me that sometimes they people associate that with like uh, sex workers prostitution and things like that some seeing a male dress as a woman and makeup and heels and this like very extravagant things that drag queens do beautiful right (laughs) gosh i can't do my makeup like that either but some people still associate that with like oh they're sex workers and if they go to this bars that disrespect that you're talking about comes from that i think also there's a stereotype there's two stereotypes as you mentioned this uh tanya number one the book bu- the buff- buffonery how do you say buff- like a buffon uh, a clown 
buffoonery. Thank you. I can't say it. English is my second either. language. My bad. But of like, You're I'm, the wrong person. I'm a clown. Look at how I'm acting. So there's that yes, stereotype. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. The other piece too is also that, um, oh, he's trying to come at me. Ew. I don't want that penis on me. You know, like it, there's this like oh kind of like the the table like the table dancer you know like a like a professional stripper. Pole, like a stripper yeah. thank you i can't talk today but <laughs> you you know uh oh she's trying to come at me she's hustling me for my money you know and and, yeah. I think, yeah, and i think that there's this like stereotype like oh i'm very uncomfortable because this person that i'm not really sure what she he they is is trying mm-hmm. to come at me and uh, like, dude, you're not that sexy. Calm yeah, down. And, and <laughs> Ain't nobody trying to come at you. Getting a little excited too. That's why they're like get, get so uncomfortable, uncomfortable because it's bringing out something. <laughs> but I, I I saw a post one time about that, and I like it just echoes mm-hmm. this. Like the reason why men are so freaked out about gay men like coming at them is because they know damn well that's how they come at women, and that's how they freaking rape us. Like mm-hmm. you're scared of a me- of a gay man raping you because that's the kind of dog you are. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's, but there's actually truth to like what you were saying, because there was a study done uh, at Emory University, um, and I think it was, I believe it was like 1995. And of course, you know, uh, they just talked about how there was a lot of, um, a lot of correlating homophobia was directly related to someone's own sexuality, where they were at on that spectrum, or what they were hiding, or if they were closeted, or if they had been again themselves like sexually molested or abused so a lot of this a lot of that uncomfort really does come from people's underlying unresolved issues and and it's it's again it's we're not trying to generally broad you know uh paint like a broad spectrum of you know males but even i kind of question men who get overly like homophobic now i'm like huh you know like Mm -hmm. it, it seems a little suspect i'd rather you I think like the I think times have shifted to like now it's better to see a man who's more open with his ex, like gender expression and open minded versus the traditional macho type that I think that uh, we've been trained to kind of go to if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, and I and I think on that documentary that I watched by Laverne Cox that I mentioned last week, uh, they they mentioned how historically yes the the transgender people where it, it was a thing that it was pretty common for them to go into, into prostitution, but because they were not able to get a job because of their yes. identity and yeah. the, 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 who they were at the core, they were being hired anywhere. So the only thing that they had left was to do that, which puts well, them in a lot mm-hmm. of like unsafe situations. And that goes the same for LGBT youth. Like I hate to use the word market, but there is, there's a market for mm-hmm. deviant, mm-hmm. for deviant behaviors. And as awful as it sounds, you know, like a 15, 14 year old, uh, you know, trafficking victim is going to be potentially making a pimp, a trafficker, some good money to be marketed as this underage, you know, you know, sex object, you know, mm. there, there, there is a market because, and, and I think that's one of the reasons why people say that, um, you know, the, the old school word prostitution needs to be legalized or sex work is because then you can really enforce you know laws and protections um and the status quo you know what i mean there wouldn't be there wouldn't be a market for underage you know lgbt youth or or anyone underage in general you wouldn't be able to go out and ask um you know a transgender um you know 
sex worker to perform heinous things. You just like some of the stuff that they report is asked of them is just beyond deviant and very risky and violent and scary. You know, these people know that they're getting away with stuff because because of what we were saying of how they look at them not as human. It's just an object. Well, and that's why that's another thing too that I get a lot of flack on. I teach my boys like in my sex ed and just kind of the way that I implement my own or not my own, but the way that I teach the boys about healthy sexuality is that if you view, if your mentality is like a whole is a whole, a mouth is a mouth, well then, you know, how do we know you're not going to turn on a child or an animal or, you know, you know, and people don't like to hear that, but see, I'm not a believer in the gay for stay. I believe that when you do all that stuff and you start objectifying the human body, like you've already crossed over into dangerous territory. So that's I really like that. When you objectify the body, I think that's an idea that honestly, I don't think I've ever heard, but I, I really want to echo that, like put it in bold red letters quote, because that's, that bleeds over to even non LGBTQ plus people. The yes. minute that women, and, and this is me being the feminist crazy that I was talking about in previous episodes, as a woman, I'm objectified as a sexual object. I am no longer respected to set my boundaries because I'm an object that anybody can use. I no longer have rights. So I, I think like there's so much shame, shame, shame and guilt into being part of the LGBTQ plus community that deserving being deserving of having those boundaries is like what i can i should and and why the necessity of providing respect when we address these people Mm -hmm. is important because you are no longer objectifying the person you are providing the person a space you know um i I really like to talk about names. Like if your name is hard to miss to spell or to say, please make sure everybody says it the right way. There's a reason why you were named that way because it provides some human respect, right? Like if your name is Tanya, right? And you tell me your name is Tanya, I have to respect the fact that your name is Tanya. Even if that means that I'm going to mess up for the first month mm-hmm. <laughs> and eventually say Tanya, right? And so yeah. in that same manner, when we're talking about gay people, that's that's the term, gay, right. <laughs> lesbian. Um, if the person doesn't feel comfortable with you using he or she, and they're asking you to refer to them as they, it's just basic human decency. Right. As long as you're trying and you're trying to use these terms to make sure that this person is human, like... It, to me, like verbiage has so much power. And so we have to be very cautious on that and right. how we refer to people. And, and it, it translates to something as simple as the bathroom, right? Which is a, another right. elephant on the couch that we've talked about before um, that we need to address as we talk about LGBTQ. But not even having a space. Literally. Literally. A space, literally, to, go to, a space to go to the bathroom. It's just basic human rights that we are not addressing right and it it, it puts people in a space where if as a transgender female from male to female i try to use the ladies room i get judged by them like oh i don't feel safe or 
and then, and then I go to the man's room and then I don't feel safe by going to the man's room now. Right. So why is your safety and your uncomfortability, uh, uncomfortability more important, more than, important mine. than mine? Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's a very, very basic human right to be able to pee and go to the bathroom, but yet that's an ongoing issue even in 2020. Unfortunately yes. it is. Yeah. Like, and it's just basic decency, basic human decency. Like, you look like a she, I want to call you a she, I'm not used to calling you a she. It's going to take a little bit more effort for me to call you a they, but it's really not that hard. Like, you're really bitching over a freaking pronoun. You can, you can learn how to say it right. Right. You know what I mean? And it's, and it doesn't harm you. Your mouth is not going to burn when you say it. Like, the same way as, like, having spaces for people, like, how does a bathroom that's non-gender harm you? You literally lock it and use the toilet. Yeah. Well, and I think it's funny. I think like when you get ex- when you get used to them, it, it doesn't really bother you. Like, and I, again, I hate to say it, but I think it does go back to that mindset of personal insecurity. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, um, and maybe that's just the culture that I grew up in. I grew up in that I was kind of raised in as an adult. Like. I've always lived like in Central Phoenix. It's always been known. It was before it was on and popping with, you know, gentrification and redevelopment. It's always been like, you know, Central Phoenix has been like the gay area, the, you know, the LGBT kind of. So, you know what I mean? Like I got used to going to bathrooms without a label. You're just like a bathroom. (laughs) But but that's that's huge. And the the reason why we wanted to bring awareness to that is because again it goes back to that what we were talking about how people associate transgender with pedophilia mm-hmm. and, and you must be oh, sick yeah. in the head if you want to use a girl's restroom you're just trying to like purr and look it's yeah. my little girl right like why yeah. this is, i just gotta pee and i identify as a female. if you yeah. make a non-gender bathroom guess what you don't have to share it with other humans you just lock yourself in it the end like right. or, it, or, it's just like the thought that the unknown that really freaks out people it's scary change is scary additionally mm-hmm. it's been male female and again mm-hmm. change freaks out people but i think it's important to bring up these conversations and if you're out there listening, like, why is this still a big deal? This is why it's still a big deal. Because it creates unsafety for, for people in the community, right? Again, if I stress gender, I'm forced to use the male's bathroom. Where does that leave me as a person? And, and it kind of brings me back to that conversation we had in Black Lives Matter. Like, the fact that we are even having a conversation about it right now tells you how inhumane this is. Right. Like, why, who am I to have a conversation on whether or not a person has the right to use a freaking restroom in a public place? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just basic human decency. So, it, speaking of why these conversations are important, before we go into another two-hour episode, I did want to talk about the cancel culture. Because cancel culture gets on my nerves. I can't. Tell me and more. so I wanted to kind of connect it with what we're talking about of this, why these conversations are happening and, and how it creates this space to, if I say, well, the cancel culture means that if I say something that somebody doesn't agree with me, uh, then they cancel me pretty much. This, and not that anybody's going to cancel me, hopefully, <laughs> because this podcast is not super big yet. Um, but if we were yet. to, yes, listen to yet. that. Yes. If we were to address a subject and then we say something that somebody doesn't agree with and they use their platform and their voices and it happens to be someone 
empower whatever eventually you get canceled and then your life is like all the videos that we're seeing with the Karens of the world and how they lose their job and whatever right so so let's talk let's talk about the cancel culture well what is your take on the cancel culture for one i think that when it comes to the Karens they deserve all the consequences they get um yes when they are acting in a racist or discriminatory way out in public you know what happens happens if i acted like that in public um and made a fool and was being ugly for lack of better words in that in that way i would you know we i would lose my license i wouldn't be able to have a job um so i don't feel i feel bad in the sense that maybe they didn't think anything would happen to them and maybe there's indirect victims but with regards to them oh well um to the to the people who choose to act in a certain way but with regards to cancel culture i think that just the times are changing and um it's kind of the same way in politics but i feel like sometimes the younger generation gets ahead of themselves they don't know everything that's kind of happened in history uh you know especially in the lgbt uh, q community qi plus uh, there's a lot of history that doesn't really get talked about because it's a lot of it up until recently has been more word of mouth kind of, you know, passing it down. I know that sounds cheesy. Uh, that and just this generation, there's just a disconnect. I mean, I even coming from like a provider perspective, it's fair to say that while the youngest generation is connected in a way that we were not connected growing up, as teenagers and younger individuals, there is a disconnect. There is something lacking, you know, with regards to just being able to have conversations and kind of like that, that instant gratification, you know what I mean? Um, so the generation is just different, um, in my opinion. But I think kind of just going back to, it, like I said last episode, it, it, it's a two-way street, you know? Like if everyone has the right to um, their opinion about a situation, and I, what I have found, and maybe that's just the moderator and because of what we do, but I have found that usually if I bring an older, you know, maybe more in the middle with regards to like revolutionary causes and just kind of being up to date with the fad and what's, what's you know, the new social justice movement, they tend to not be where they need to be. And they, they, they could probably open up their mind a little bit. But then the younger generation, I think sometimes they need to slow their role and appreciate what's been done to give them the foundation to have these opinions and feel so strongly, you know, about um, what's been given to them for them to be able to um, have an opinion. Um, so an example would be like when I was growing up, I used to come up here in Phoenix, it would have been like high school, you know, 2000s. I used to see flamboyant uh, gay boys w roaming the streets like after school was out. And to me, like that was just like the most miraculous thing I'd ever seen. I was like, oh my God, like this can happen. Um, and now, you know, those kids in school now, they take that for granted. You know what I mean? They don't see that as it's almost a norm because for the most part, while there still is bullying, I don't deny that. Um, you know, th things have progressed in a lot of ways 
to where the world is just different. And I don't think that they appreciate how hard uh, the older generation has fought and are willing to um, have a conversation. You know what I mean? I think that there's a lot of clashing and it's like, oh, well, you're old, you're a bigot, you don't want to change. And and vice versa. You know, you're younger, you don't understand, you know, hush. I think in order to have those really, like, tough conversations that we're talking about, you need to have, like, report. You know, if you have an older generation that are very close-minded and that are, like, putting people's life at risk, I think it leaves you no choice but to, like, cut ties. Right. I, th- I think that's my problem, right? Where is mm-hmm. that line? And sometimes that line gets blurred between... If someone does like big, big damage, like we're talking bluntly dismissing a human life or just, I don't know, very obvious, I don't know, racism or homophobia, where is the line between allowing that space to learn and to give people grace and to be patient in, in taking that into consideration, like what you were sharing, Louise? Um, versus just oh cancel and and, and people ruin someone's life and, and I I agree with you some of those Karens definitely um, need to learn and they might need to learn the hard way but I think the therapist and me tries to give people grace and understand that we're human we're gonna make mistakes but how do we how do we differentiate between canceling someone and jumping on their neck and uh, you're done for the rest of your life you lose your job you live you, you lose like your house everything in your life gets ruined and i mean that's probably pushing it because hopefully people have resources and support and whatnot but i feel like we're missing on that opportunity to learn right like we especially with social media and how fast things get like in a matter of seconds a mistake that i made in saying something that maybe i didn't have the right words or whatever can cost me my job, right? Like, so that's the part where I'm like, oh, are we being too much exactly. with the cancel culture? Where is that line? Like, we all want to be heard, and we're, we're advocating, on... we're advocating for people's rights and and whatnot. Yet, we are so quick to jump on someone's neck and end their life. I don't know, dude. I I personally, I I don't fuck with words like. Words have meaning, actions have power. But you've made mistakes in your life. Well, I was going to say, like, I think you I, I think you have to pick and choose the right battles because there are certain topics when you you do kind of have to cut some people out. So, like, right, right, right. blatant racism, blatant, you know, where there's a victim, you know. Right. And, and mm-hmm. victim is a strong word, but, like, if somebody, like, that's why I said, like, I don't feel sorry for somebody who goes out you know, puts their hands on somebody, calls them all kinds of racial slurs, and then yeah. wants to get go on an apology tour. I don't, like, you know, cancel done by, like, you know, I'm not going to feel any, like I said, I'll feel sorry for, like, the ramifications for the people around you, but I don't feel sorry for what you did to yourself. When I, when I, when I think of cancel culture, I think of forced ideology on somebody. I think, yes, I think, yes, yes, right I think there. of, I think of you saying, I think country is the best music in the world, and this is why. And me being like, nah, I don't know. A lot of country stars are Republican. I just can't deal with that. You know, I'm canceling you out. I don't want to talk to you anymore because, you know, I want to be a Democrat, and I don't want anything to do with Republicans. And and vice versa. So to me, that is cancel culture. And I think that's kind of like what's been problematic 
like, for example, kind of bringing it back to like the LGBT community. Uh, more recently, you know, uh, RuPaul, RuPaul's known as the host of RuPaul's Drag Race. But for the most part in this last 10 years, that's all that he's really known for is RuPaul's Drag Race. He has done some amazing things for the community. And now people are turning against him, this younger generation, because all they want to do is talk about how, you know, the show is not keeping up with the speed of, you know, kind of how things are changing. And they're making all kinds of accusations that he's this or that. And then he recently made like an investment in fracking, which I am not pleased with the fracking. But I think like this man has done so much for the community and really like history repeats itself. So like even like going back to that lack of knowledge, like there were some younger drag queens who were like in their early 20s who everybody was like, oh, my God, this is the first time a drag queen has been the face of a major campaign. And everyone, you know, those who know history are like, um, not really. This happened back in 95 and it was RuPaul who was the groundbreaker. So I think stuff like that, when it comes to cultural changes and shifts, I think that you got to know your history before you open your mouth. And you got to be willing to kind of see both sides. Because I do agree that people need time to change. If I were to compare myself to how I was at 20 years old versus now, I was far more conservative, both not only in my expression but also in the the use of the word conservative that we were just talking about. Just because you just because you accept your sexuality doesn't mean that you're the most progressive and open person in the world. You know what I mean? Like it's a learning process. So I think it's all about intention, how it's shared, mm. and 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 what you meant, what you mean by your actions. Well, and I think like Tanya and I are the plain examples of that on our first like on our first Black Lives Matter episode was freaking cringy. Yes. You know, exactly. like and we had the best intent in coming in and addressing the issue, but also being also very uncomfortable in that space. Right. So I I think race is important and and when I talk about canceling someone or blocking someone or deciding to not have this person around it's really because it's to an extreme for right. me. Yeah. Like, yes. You mm -hmm. are purposely trying to hurt a person. Um, and, and I say that because I really do give a lot of grace and I feel very comfortable talking to a very conservative person about a topic that it has nothing to do with what I agree with, right? Um, mm. But the, the thing that I love about this generation is that we don't take, like, and I'm going to say we because... I don't know. I don't know why I'm saying we. I feel like I'm 21. Whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the younger generation, what I really like about the younger generation is that they don't take shit. Like, they don't take shit. You don't sit there and take it. Like, you disrespect, they call you out, and you're out. Like, and that's something that I didn't grow up learning. I learned mm -hmm. to shut up and be respectful. And, and to be honest, I'm teaching my daughter to talk back. Like, I'm teaching mm -hmm. my daughter to say, no. I don't feel comfortable with that and you need to back the fuck off because I grew up in a, in a space where I wasn't allowed to say that. And because I wasn't allowed to say that I ended up in pickles where I was objectified or mistreated or abused mm -hmm. because I didn't feel comfortable stepping into quote unquote respectful toes where mm -hmm. this generation's like, Oh, you're going to disrespect me. Watch what I can fucking do. <laughs> you know? And I, and I really do respect that because that takes courage. 
But yeah. I also agree with what you're saying and know your history before you open your mouth because I think there's also a lot of entitlement in that yes. generation. And that, that and that is that's my struggle is the entitlement. Yeah. Yes, that that is like you say the big bucks that people are just so entitled like oh i'm gonna cancel you like who are you to cancel someone you know what i mean like and and i i, I agree with you i think empowering younger generations to take a stand set and, and set yeah. boundaries we said it in toxicity right how this is part of the growing pro uh process and we all are toxic and we've all been ignorant at some point on whatever subject but if you are in a place where you are willing to acknowledge your deficit and want to grow then by all means right that's where i want to make sure that hopefully people listening can plant the seed of like um being willing to allow others to learn but yes when it is blatant racist unacceptable things very like black and white when it comes to mm -hmm. human decency yes right there is a line that you're not going to cross felicia. and you buy felicia their asses like we said but i think mm -hmm. it's important to also allow people to grow because i was thinking about you and myself like when you were you were saying something to louise about growing and whatnot i'm gonna own it but a couple of years ago and i'm talking when i was already in the mental health field I very clearly remember an instance where I was finishing a meeting and I, the conversation specifically about LGBTQ came up and I said, well, I don't know why it's a big deal. I don't see the difference. I, I accept people. And this was coming from a place like I accept everybody and I don't care, but I was dismissing the importance of this battle of trying to give people that space like we were saying last time. Right. And mm -hmm. this is me already working in the behavioral health field, a grown ass woman therapist <laughs> making that comment. Right. So had I been canceled back then, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to grow and, and continue to like do what I'm doing and, and just grow as a person individually. Right. So that's where I'm like, are we going to allow people to ever grow or are we just going to cancel anybody that makes a mistake? Right. Well, and I think that like you have to there's bigger fish to fry. So I do think that sometimes, yeah, like I think, you know, organizing against, you know, certain establishments to hold them accountable is one thing, but like just canceling everybody out. I think that that's detrimental. Uh, an interesting little fact, um, you know, we'll go into too much detail, but uh, long story short, I, because of how I was, uh, my experience growing up, I was very much a cancel <laughs> culture kind of person before it was even a thing i had been i'd been screwed over by so many people back and forth that the minute i saw something that was threatening or that was an early warning sign or that turned me off you know i would cut you out you know what i mean and like yeah, yeah. that was that was not a good way to live for a good four-year period of my life that you know we'd be talking for weeks and you know maybe even months and then the minute you say something like you just stop hearing from me like I actually went to therapy for that, so I think that's why my my view on this is slowed down because I do think sometimes you kind of have to look at both sides. But there are some things that are unacceptable, and I think I think everyone's just tribal, which even that is not really an appropriate word nowadays, um, based in just you know the roots. But you know we've kind of been pitted against one another, and I think that there's more to it than just you know, everybody wanting their voices to be heard. I think that there's been a lot of, um, maybe a little bit more strategic than we give this government credit for.
So speaking of that, then what would be some no nos for people to kind of like, like, like where's the line where it comes to respectful curiosity and, and, and wanting to learn more versus just being straight up like disrespectful or inappropriate when it comes to the LGBT or well, for you personally, because we, you don't represent everybody in the LGBTQIA plus community. So for you, your experiences, is there anything that it's a big no, no for you? Um, like as far as what I won't tolerate from people or right when it comes to your identity or people, people being curious and, and wanting to approach you about something. And this is just kind of like for people listening, if they were ever in a position where they're like wondering or they don't know how to approach someone about their sexuality or identity, not their sexuality. Cause then that's none of their business, but more of their identity or if they have like, Hmm, I feel like I have this one friend that's, but I don't know how to bring it up. Well, I think kind of just going to like back to like affirmative counseling, I kind of viewed it that way. You have to be supportive but neutral at the same time because you don't want to like push an agenda. You know what I mean? Like people have to find their own way. You know, I don't know if you remember like the social work values like self-determination and, you know, self-efficacy. Like people got to be able to support themselves emotionally and they have to figure out, you know, their orientation or their space in their own way. I think the biggest way to help both from a friend perspective, family, even a provider is just be open to whatever they want. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, and kind of just normalize because everything normalize it if it's healthy, you know what I mean? Like if they, if they want to dress up as they want to dress in traditionally uh, female expressive clothes today, be okay with it. If they want to dress up in traditionally male expressive clothing tomorrow then just kind of roll with it you know what i mean i, I think, think... Um, go ahead sorry it, when you say that it just uh reminds me of a conversation i had with a loved one about kiddos that want to dress as females or as princesses like boys dressing mm-hmm. up as princesses and they're like you're just fostering it or making it worse yeah and mm-hmm. reality you're doing the whole opposite because the more you tell a kid you can't do it the more they want to do it you know like mm-hmm. At, when I was younger, I was super girly, and then I changed, and I can be, I became very tomboyish, and it kind of just stayed there for a while. Um, but it, it was the wow, you are so girly, and you're so beautiful, being like that, and turning into a teenager and being like, "If you, mom, I'm gonna be as tomboy as I can be, just to mess with you." Um, but also like my identity. But guess what I'm saying? If a kiddo or a person says, "Oh, I want to dress this way," or "I want to look this way," kind of like allowing them to be allows the process to happen however it needs to happen rather than like pushing them to no you can't do that como que it makes them want to hold on to it harder i wanted to say it in spanish como que quieren aferrarse más but i had to translate it in my brain anyway i say like i believe that most humans are inherently good people which is why I, I know that, you know, society has shown, you know, some contradictory views of that. But I do believe that I do believe that fundamentally people change um, if given the opportunity to grow. So, you know, we're, we're on the show talking a lot of shit right now. But if we're canceling people out, we wouldn't even be talking to some of our parents based on some of our views and you know, how we would like things to be in a perfect world. When I look at, when I look at my parents, how they thought of this situation damn near what 
17 years ago to today, they are completely different people. So that's my thing. That's why I feel like sometimes when you get crazy about wanting to shut people out, it's really about what the what is the threat, like Dulce was saying. You know what I mean? Because um, I think that most parents who even disown their kids, they genuinely don't want something bad to happen to them. And the disownment, I think, is just a way, it's a lack of being able to express an emotion and be able, you know what I mean? But like, like, I think you ask, well, what are my limitations? Or, like, you know, what is kind of a no-no? I think that people who hang around people who are uh, directly homophobic or people who support policy that are directly harmful, that's where I kind of draw the line. Because it's like, okay, like, if you're okay with something that directly hurts me, then I have a problem with that. You know, you know what I mean? So if, so if you're like, oh, Tanya, or, you know, Dulce, I realize that, you know, there's been a rise in, like, hate crimes towards, like, um, you know, bisexual women in Phoenix. But, you know, I just can't vote for this, you know, city ordinance about hate crime protections. I just don't see the purpose. Like, to me, that would be like, okay, then you just don't value my life. You know what I mean? Mm. And, I, and I think that's a lot different than, you know ideological differences because this because now we've gone from just philosophy and ideology to something that affects my life this is like um an existential threat in a way you know what i mean um it is right, different right. That, that that's a very good way to put it because i think that's something that we might not take into consideration and 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 we're just like oh based on like very like self-centered decisions and not to say that you're going to put the world above you but if it's someone that you have directly have a relationship with someone like just taking that into consideration when it comes yeah. to and i think that's right. and, this, and i think that that's what we got to get to like on the other side just everybody coming together and we need to collectively figure out you know what do we need as humans like what are our human rights and hopefully and i think mm -hmm. that would alleviate some of the clashes um within the communities and within diverse communities as well I just think of Benito Juarez every time. <laughs> like, but the, yeah, that's a good the, one. The, the respect of, and I'm going to translate it. This is my raw way of translating Benito Juarez. El respeto. El respeto al derecho ajeno es la paz. Respect to other people's rights is peace. Period. Mm -hmm. Period. Like, period. <laughs> <laughs> it, like, it, it just, if your views are affecting my humanity and my basic rights, then, then. then that's problematic. We don't have peace. <laughs> then your views are not. <laughs> we are no longer having peace. There's going to be war. But I, I think like it, it just boils down to that. Like, And the beauty of the United States is that you can believe that Satan is the next God and all hail Satan in your mind, right? It doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to go out there and kill people. But if your belief in Satan is an excuse to go ahead and kill every Catholic out there. And homie, we need to have a talk, mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> but if you just believe that in your own bubble and you're not hurting, like hurting anybody, do, do you, do boo -boo, you, do you like believe what you want to believe? Right. But yeah. if you're sitting here and making choices for other people, like I said earlier, the fact that we're even talking about, about yeah. the right of people using a bathroom in a public area is in itself. Mm -hmm. It's another level of dehumanization. I can't even yeah. verbalize. But 
I think it's important that we draw the line that we talk about. I think bringing up these conversations kind of want to want to echo on what you're saying, Luis, is bringing up these conversations for maybe the people or the loved ones that we have that might not agree with our views, but that maybe we are able to human like humanize their perspective, yeah. Yeah. right? Yeah. Like, see, not that if they're not hurting you, let them go get married with a man. <laughs> That's right. on their own or female or whatever. If if the way they're dressing doesn't affect your personal life, let them wear whatever they feel like wearing. Yeah, they're not hurting anybody. Exactly. <laughs> and, and allow them, like, I don't have to worry about being judged or being mistreated over what I wear. To a certain extent, right? Because apparently if I wear a short skirt, I'm deserving to be raped. But for majority of people that are not part of the LGBTQ plus community, they don't have to necessarily worry about these things, mm -hmm. right? I don't have to necessarily worry about talking about my sexual preference with my family. I mean, Tanya, have you ever had to have a conversation about your sexual preference with any of your family members? Like, no. Not yet. Right? Like, <laughs> I have not. <laughs> not yet? She's looking there, at me like, uh, something, something you want to tell me? <laughs> but uh, again, like, I, even that reaction, right? right. So... Just having those conversations, really educating ourselves to support our loved ones who might ad identify within that. And even if it's not our loved ones, just any human for the sake of being human and having basic humanity right? Um, and kindness and really standing up, calling it out as we see it, calling the F word to a friend because it's funny. It's, it's really not funny. Or you, you're gay, man. But like, I think... And I think stop. there are better ways to challenge people than canceling, because because I, I think because you know what I mean because if you re if that person really respects you, and you know you can go toe to toe and you can usually get an answer, um, because by you continuing to press the issue and respecting their view, you're giving mutual respect. You know what I mean? Like, does that make sense? Yeah. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, I I think it's what Dulce mm -hmm. was saying earlier mm -hmm. about in order for change to happen, there's got to be a relationship. Yeah. So if you go at a dynamic attacking someone because of their beliefs and what they've been taught their whole life, then you're not going to get mm -hmm. anywhere. But if you come at it like, oh, well, it, help me understand why you feel that way, and then like hit them I with gave, the facts. I gave my comadre a feedback, guys. This is a really good feedback. I saw it on Facebook and I started using it, and it works wonders. Um. Act like you're stupid. Oh, yeah. If somebody says like, mm. oh, you effing faggot. <laughs> you're like, I don't get it. Why is that funny? And you just sit there in silence. And then, they're well, because, you know, it's like a faggot. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. I, I don't get it. Explain it more. And they hear themselves and how like assholey or ignorant that is. That it just like creates that dynamic of like conversation. Like. I, I don't get it. <laughs> That's a good approach. Yeah. Uh, explain more. And, mm -hmm. and and when you verbalize, when you as a good human being, like you said, Luis, verbalize your assholeness, like you catch it mm -hmm. yourself. Yeah. You know? And, and so, I don't know. But I think, like, there's also awesome resources out there that we can use to kind of get educated in the subject. Yeah. Um. Today, you mentioned something before we recorded about Alexa. Yeah, if you guys Alexa, have an Alexa at home. Um, ask Alexa to tell you a fact about pride fact. Like, Alexa, tell me a pride fact. And she will tell you 
It's, it's Alexa Siri, and it's tell Siri. Me a She's trying fact. to do it with Siri. She's not gonna do it. But it's a thing that uh, I, I don't know. Amazon is doing that. So there's that. There's a lot of free resources, Siri, like we always say, fact. on YouTube. Netflix has tons of documentaries that are that available. Yes. So Apple is not LGBTQ plus friendly. <laughs> Amazon is, Alexa is, um, but just things like that, right? When, when if you're sitting there like wondering like where where do I start? Again, the work always starts individually mm-hmm. with yourself, educating yourself, having an open mind, being respectful, non judgmental, listening to understand and not to state your opinion but just listening open-minded normalizing all these conversations with family with friends even with kids that whole like if i plant that seed and now they're going to turn gay if i talk to them about it no that's not how it works um and i think ultimately you know sitting down with people and giving them the facts because there are a lot of adverse things that can happen when people don't have the facts and don't feel supported so would you rather have an do you rather have an openly gay child or a closet case, you know, married and doing things on the side? And that's not... Or suicide. Or, or suicide. Let's just be plain and simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or suicide. Or bullied to, till they get killed, mm-hmm. you know, or a murder case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Diversified your life um, through social media. You can follow different things with information. Again, the resources are there now. If you want to, if you choose to stay ignorant, then that's a choice that you're mm-hmm. making. A choice. And you said. deserve to get canceled. Just kidding. All right, Louise. Any anything else before we wrap up? Anything that we no? I just I just think. I mean, to be honest, we need like five more episodes of this, Probably. but yeah. <laughs> scratching so the more. surface. I think just uh, for anybody listening, if you're serious about trying to like find out um, just some resources, uh, Lambda Legal, if you're trying to learn about laws and kind of like what people are fighting for, that's a great uh, resource. Uh, there's definitely, I definitely recommend the Human Rights Campaign uh, uh, organization. They offer a lot of Great resources, including for therapists and providers. They even have like a, a free coming out handbook, which is amazing. Um, and then, nice. yeah, so just, and then also um, a SAGE counseling group, not to be mistaken for a specific SAGE counseling here in town, but there's actually like, um, it's an organization that advocates, it's one of the largest advocates for LGBTQ uh, individuals. So those are some great online resources to kind of browse through and, just get some basic education, kind of bring you up to speed. Um, and they also offer training if you want to be trained in affirmative counseling for LGBTQ plus um, as well. So it's just throwing it out there. I'm probably going to sign up. Yeah. Awesome. Well, this is an awesome episode. I think it was really tough talks, I think but, it w- but I think it's helpful. I agree. I think it was raw. And I think it goes to show that the three of us all have very different opinions about certain things, and that's what this table is about. Even if we don't see eye to eye on all the things, let's talk about the, it. Yep, mm-hmm. yep, yep, yep. Let's get uncomfortable, people. So thank you for listening today. Thank you, Louise, again for joining us for 2.0. Very nice of you to be part of this mess. Be part of this journey. <laughs> it's not a mess. Uh, but thank you. Thank you for your flexibility for we uh, being willing to share all of your knowledge with and, us. and likewise ladies like louise if we have any other subject that you're always welcome back in the space if you have anything that you want to bring to the table Will do. 
Bye. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. We hope this was the start of the conversation for you and know that you're not alone in whatever journey you're walking. We know these discussions might bring up some challenging emotions or thoughts. So please remember that although this is a safe space to start your healing process, it is not meant as a replacement for therapy. So please reach out and seek professional help. You're not alone. Don't be scared to sit with your elephant on the couch. Until next time.